Thanks, Matt. Good morning, guys. It is great to be with you this morning. I have actually been looking forward to this particular talk for quite a while. Uh, I'm going to talk about the art of neighboring today, something very near and dear to my heart, something that's actually very near to the heart of Jesus, which I'll explain that in just a moment. We'll be in Matthew chapter 22. You might open your Bible to that. I always encourage you to bring the Word with you, and you think, well, the Scripture's up on the screen. Yeah, it's good to have it in your hand, be able to take notes, underline stuff. I get used to where things are at in the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we say this every week, on the walls and the racks and the table in the back, there's a Bible. Please take it as our gift for you. I just want to underline something Matt said. Uh, last week, the entire service was dedicated to Adventureland. Kids matter a great deal to us. And I don't care whether you're 99 years old and you haven't had kids in your house for 59 years, or whether you are 19 years old and uh, you are thinking, but someday I might have kids. Uh, we, we want to encourage you to engage serving children even once or twice a month. If you're a parent, we consider this a co-op. It's not just drop your kids off, get involved, help out. Fill out a little card that's uh, back. I think you got when you came in today or drop it off the table. I just want to say as a senior pastor, this is a big deal for us, so please do so. Anyone around my age has experienced lots of change in their life, tons of change. In fact, my generation has experienced more change in their lifetime than any other generation before it. Now, I believe millennials and those post-millennials are going to be experiencing more change in their lifetime than even I have experienced. But it's amazing the amount of change that's taken place in my short, well, relatively short life. When I was born, they didn't have TVs in homes. Then we got black and white. Now we've got flat screen, high-def TVs. Just a little bit of a significant difference. Uh, believe it or not, once upon a time, very few people had cell phones. Now, how many of you have a cell phone with you right now? Raise your hands. Look around the room. Kids, like three-year-olds, have cell phones now. This is the way they used to look. Look at this picture. That was... Best part about that phone is you didn't have any problem with butt dials. But anyhow, things have changed quite a bit where cell phones were expensive and nobody had them and where now everybody has them everywhere. I uh, worked in banking, most of you know my story, years ago in my 20s for about 10 years, by vocational ministry, some part of that time. But I remember, I literally remember uh, the secretary I had when I was with American Savings, she um, got a word processor. Anybody remember word processors? And she was, she almost quit over the fact that we weren't going to take this away from her. That's an electronic, electric typewriter, in case you're, some of the kids over here are like, what is that? That's a typewriter. And she was so mad, she literally threatened to quit over the fact that we were taking it away. Lots of change. Now, some things haven't changed. Or things change, their old things coming back. Anybody notice Matt in his Converse shoes today? Yeah, Matt, yeah, there, Converse is back. Uh, that's what I grew up wearing. And so it's kind of funny how the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's kind of a whole another story. But I grew up in the church as well. I grew up from the time I was a week old. I've been in church all my life. My dad was a pe preacher. I was a PK. And I remember, I, I remember my dad, who was a pastor, making this statement from the platform. I remember it. And it was a huge deal in the vein of the particular part of the church we were part of. He said, drums are of the devil. My dad preached a whole sermon on the drums being of the devil and how over his dead body they would ever show up in his church and and that was, you know, that was a long time ago. Now we have drums and bass guitars and all sorts of things happening. I remember when the church started to change from singing the 200-year-old hymns, and some of them are great. And I, I, you know, if you love hymns, don't be offended by this, but they're old. And the church started changing and singing more popular choruses and things were easier for people and words that people understood. And churches literally split over that. Did you know that? 
that there was all this dissension and division in the church. And I could go on and on about all the change that has happened in a relatively short year of time. In my 58 years or so of life and my 30 plus, uh, 35 plus years of ministry, here's something profound that I've discovered. Ready? This right here is the most profound thing you're going to hear today. Ready? Some people love change. Some people hate it. Was that good or what? It's like, can I go home now? No. Some people love change. I get that. Now, I understand that we all have different personalities. I truly do understand that reality. I am quite certain at some point scientists are just going to discover uh, something in our DNA, in our genes, that, that some of us are early responders. We adapt quickly to change. We like change because of the way we're wired. I get that. Perhaps you've seen this. This is a bell curve. I wanted to show it to you in the back. You'll have a hard time reading it. But it's the adaption or acceptance of change bell curve. And you've got that 2.5%, the early innovators at the very beginning. And then you've got the early adapters, about 15%. And early majorities, I think it's 34%, to, before you reach halfway. And I love this curve because though it's relative, and I'm sure it does have to do with certain places and people and age groups, it might change. The fact is that there are a lot of people that early on, they adapt and some who resist. I want to suggest you don't want to be part of the 15% laggards at the end of the thing. But change is, is, a real, is true for all of us. Here's my point in this. Regardless of your natural bit, whether you're in that point, you know, or 2.5% early, you know, innovators, or whether you might be in the, the laggard section of that bell curve, wherever you're at, here's a couple of things I want you to think about with me today. Number one, change is inevitable. Can I get at least a, little, a nod? Like it or not, and I know some of you absolutely hate change. Like it or not, change is inevitable. So it might be wise to adapt, to adjust, to embrace at least good change. Now, I realize there are things that we don't like and things that shouldn't happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that, by and large, are, are good for us, that are improvements, but we have a struggle. Change is inevitable, and it might be best wise to not always resist it. And number two, and here's an important aspect in this whole change thing, is that God's into change. He is. He's the only one that never changes, and he's absolutely committed to changing you, to transforming you and me. He's all about changing you. He's all about changing us. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all, and that's all of us, are being transformed. Could put the word in there, being changed. Being transformed into God's image with ever-increasing glory. King James says, from glory to glory. With ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Paul says, this is what God does. And this is just one of many places that the Scriptures tell us, teach us, show us, that God is about conforming, changing, changing us from the inside out. God is constantly at work in you to change you. Let me say that again. He is constantly working in you to change you from the inside out. And it is a work of transformation. This word here, transformed, being transformed in 2 Corinthians 3, is a Greek word we uh, get the word metamorphosis from. And so there's a great visual image. In fact, I have one more picture I want to show you. This is a great visual image of metamorphosis, of change from the caterpillar, the crawling, slimy thing, to the incredible, beautiful butterfly. Now, most of us look at that picture. We go, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so awesome. I love that. And then some of us in the next breath go, but don't you dare ask me to change. <laughs> cool, but not cool. That's not what we want. Again, I realize that it's not for everyone and that not everyone is excited about change. And I know that we're all in a different place on that bell curve. You know, you can tell 
the early innovators, that 2.5% by the arrows in their back. You, you can tell who's leading the charge. And I recognize there's different things. But, and here's my, here's my point, when it's godly and it's transformative, listen carefully, when it's godly change and it's transformative change, then change is good for us. God wants to change you. He's committed to that. And the very process of transformation involves all sorts of change in our lives. The change in the way we believe, and the change in the way we think, the change in the way we talk, and the change in the way we interact and relate to people around us, the change in the way we live our lives. I hope you understand that change is not a four-letter word, that it actually is something God says, I am committed, absolutely committed, to transforming you into the image of my son. Okay, why have I taken this time to challenge your perspective on change? All right, Bubna, what's up? Well, for several months, uh, I've been hinting and talking about, mentioning in my talks, uh, and through lots of conversations with many of you one-on-one, uh, -on -one, about something that we want to introduce today called neighboring groups. And by the way, it's not neighborhood groups, it's neighboring. It's a verb, neighboring groups. And I want to explain to you today um, what they are. I want to define them for you, and I want to tell you why they're important. And here's what I want to ask you guys. I, I actually am very excited and a little nervous. Because if you don't hear my heart in this, and if you, more importantly, if you don't hear God's heart in this, then you're going to leave here today either confused or frustrated. And I don't want that for anybody here. But I do want to lean on you just a little bit, unpack some things that are important for you to understand about why this matters. Not just to us, but really in the kingdom. I had you turn to Matthew 22. Let's pick it up, Matthew 22, verse 34. Now, if you've been around the church for more than a month, uh, you've probably heard this passage. I've taught from it before, but I want to dial this up again, so listen carefully. Matthew 22, 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. So one of the Pharisees tested Jesus. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Jesus said in verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. No question, no doubt. Consistent from Genesis to Revelation. The big deal, the most important thing for us as Christ followers, the most important thing is that we love God with everything we are. All our heart, mind, soul, strength, every ounce of our being, every fiber, every strength, every breath. We love God with all that we are. That's the commandment. That's what God has, has called us to. That's what Jesus called us to over and over again. Here in Matthew 22 and Mark 12, Luke 10, Jesus gives us first and then the second commandment, verse 39. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, if you were a Jew and you heard Jesus, a good, righteous, religious Jew, and you heard Jesus say all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two things, you would you would go, what? What did he do? Is, is he serious? That's, I mean, that's like all the stuff that they've spent their entire life learning, all, everything about their focus, their religious focus, everything apart their upbringing and their life revolved around the law and the prophets. And Jesus is making this incredible, we miss it, because we're not Jews, unless you're a Messianic Jew, we don't get this. That Jesus saying, all, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two great commandments, love God and love people. And by the way, in case you missed it, let me be clear on something. These are not the two great suggestions. These are the two great commandments. They're the two greatest commandments ever given to us. 
to emphasize this point, and I, I was tempted to go here. I don't have time. Here's your homework assignment. Would you read Luke chapter 10 this week? That's your homework. Read Luke 10 on your own. You might want to hang out there for a while. But in the passage in Luke 10 where Jesus gives this first and second commandment, he also shares the story. We call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the reason he tells this story is because the religious dude says, uh, well, uh, 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 who's my neighbor? What a stupid question. But, you know, that's the guy's like, he's trying to find an out, a way of, well, they needed to find us. They were always nitpicking on the, the, the nuances of the law. And, and, and Jesus, so he tells a, tells a story of the good Samaritan, a guy who gets beat up, left to die on the side of a road. Some guys walk by, religious guys walk by, they won't have anything to do with him. Finally, a Samaritan walks by and, and he cares for this man. He, he invests in this man. He takes him to a place where he can find wholeness and health and healing. And in fact, uh, invest time and money into his life. And Jesus says, that's the neighbor. The point being here is that those within your sphere of influence, those that you come in contact with, those that are in your world, even if it costs you, even if it's messy, because it would have been messy for the Good Samaritan to care for that man, even if it's not convenient, we love our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? The person right next to you. Love them. Love them sacrificially if need be. Now, besides what Jesus taught on this, and I could spend more time there, let's move on. The Apostle Paul and the brother of Jesus, a guy named James, both highlighted this truth again. Romans 13, 9. Paul says, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. All of the laws, again, all the Jews, uh-huh, 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 we know. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Paul got it. Paul taught it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Not going to murder your neighbor if you love him as yourself, are you? That's not a trick question. You with me? Okay, good. Galatians 5.14, for the whole law comes down to this one instruction. Paul wrote the church in Galatia. One instruction, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, when the whole law comes down to this, love your neighbor. James, the brother of Jesus, James 2.8 says, yes, indeed, it is good. It's good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. And here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible's clear on this. Again and again, we are to love God with everything that we have, and we're to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But let's take a moment and let's address something I think is important. Why? Why is loving our neighbor such a big deal? I could stand up here all day long and tell you, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor. You gotta love your neighbor, you gotta love your neighbor. And you go, fine, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But here's what I've learned about human nature. At least it's true of me. Maybe it's true of you. When I get the why, I usually do the what. When I understand the reason behind it, then there's a part of me that goes, okay, even if I don't like it, I get it. I understand this is important. And so I will participate. Why is this such a big deal? Why did Jesus make this number two? Why did Paul and James come back to this again and again? Well, here's my explanation. Here's my reason. I think it's consistently explained and taught in the scriptures that we're about drawing people to the Father through our life. Let them see the good works in you. Let them see my light in you. Let them be drawn to me through you. People are drawn. Why do we love our neighbors? Because people are drawn to Jesus when they see and experience his life through us. People are drawn to the Father, to relationship with God. It changes, listen, it changes their eternity. It changes their eternal destiny when they see and experience the love of God through us. Church history, including what happened in the early church, shows, it that the gospel, shows us 
that the gospel, the good news, advanced through relational lines. You know they didn't have TV back then, right? Okay, boy, you guys, wake up, come on. Yeah, they did this. you're with me, I can tell. They didn't have mass advertising. They didn't have all these ways to get the word out. The way it happened is one person told another person who told another person who told another person. The gospel, the good news, advanced through relational lines. And it is still true that it's best spread from person to person through relational connections. That's what's best. And that's true of everything. You know, most of you know I, I have, uh, I'm an author. I've got five books out now. My kid's book just came out, and it's actually doing pretty well. I could spend millions of dollars in advertisement, which I won't, I can't, I don't have it. And it would not be as effective as one person telling one person telling one person telling one person, hey, this is a good book, you need to get this. Tim and I were talking before the service about a book I mentioned, I don't know, a couple months ago here in church, Unoffendable by Brad Hansen. Love it, one of the best books I read this year. I told Tim about it, Tim went and got it. He's told his managers about it, and they're going to go out and get it. That's the way things spread best, one-on-one. And guess what? That's the way it happens best in the kingdom as well where rather than a program, an advertisement, some big fancy thing, it's one person telling one person, man, Jesus changed my life. It's one person loving one person in his name. Study after study after study for decades has proven that over 90%, 90% of those who become Christ followers do so because of the influence of a trusted friend or family member. Now, sure, some do come to faith through a concert or a book or a TV program, but you know what? The overwhelming majority of those people still had a Christian in their life who loved them and was a part of them coming to know Jesus. How many of you, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but let's just take a moment. How many of you came to Christ because of a trusted friend or family member? Now, maybe they didn't pray with you, but you know it was, they, they were influential on that. Yeah, yeah, all over the room. Somebody in your life loved you. They modeled for you the love of God. They showed you the love of God. And that influence brought you to a point. Now, it might have been that they prayed their prayer with you. Maybe they didn't. Again, the majority of the time, they probably didn't. But they brought you to church, or that intrigued you, and you picked up a Bible, or you decided to go to a concert, or to watch something somewhere on television, and suddenly God gets a hold of your heart and changes you. God put you. Let me connect the dots here. He put you in a neighborhood. I am absolutely convinced of the sovereignty and the unbelievable plan of God for you in your life. You think you picked the house you live in. You had a part in it, but God picked it long before you did. You think that you've got your life all ordered out and planned, and and the Bible says man plans his ways, the Lord directs his steps. I am convinced of this. God has put you exactly where you are at in school, in your neighborhood where you work. And if you'll change the way you think about your life, instead of, oh boy, life's boring, sucks, I don't know why I'm here, hate my job, you know, my neighbor's dog, he's pooping on my yard. If you'll change the way you look at the world around you by seeing that God put you there. Now, you might hate there. It might not be a fun there. But if you understand God put you there, that's going to change the way you see the people around you. It's going to change the way you interact and relate to them. God put you in your neighborhood, in your place of work, on purpose. He has given you a sphere of influence, a realm, a world that's not the entire world, but it's your world. And that's where he wants you to be effective at loving people in his name. It is not primarily going to happen for them to come to know Christ through some evangelism methodology or program. 
Again, I've been at church all my life. And oh, my goodness. I could tell you all these programs I've been a part of. Here's life and the evangelism explosion. And all, I mean, all these things, all these programs that I've been a part of that for a while maybe had a little bit of impact. And surely people did come to know the Lord. But there's nothing more effective, nothing better than one person telling one person about Jesus, loving them. The key is to simply love them as God has loved you. That's the plan. That's the master plan. That's God's idea. Just go love people. Love them. You build a, build a bridge of relationship that demonstrates the goodness, the kindness, and the love of the Father. You intentionally are building these bridges. You know, if you're in school and you're looking you know, in the cafeteria, you're thinking, well, who am I going to sit with today? Sure, you can go sit with all your buddies and hang out with all your kids. Or you can look for the kid who's sitting by himself and say, I'm going to build a bridge to that kid. You're at coffee, you know, a break at, at, the, at the office or wherever you work, and, and somebody, you know, tends to be a bit of a loner. Maybe they're even an odd duck, and nobody likes that guy or that gal. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the person you intentionally, you love your neighbor. You build a bridge to them. And then, of course, you find people that you do have affinity with. You like the bull. You like football. You like pinochle. I don't care. You find, do they still play pinochle? You'd find something that you have a connection with, and you build an intentional bridge there, a bridge of relationship, just to love them. And so we're talking about neighboring groups today. And here's the neighboring group goal. Here it is, to build authentic relationships as you love others the way God has loved you. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the intent, the purpose of a neighboring group is simply to build authentic relationships with people as you love others the way God has loved you. And here's the really good news. Ready? This is awesome news. You don't have to be an evangelist or have the gift of evangelism to, to love people. You don't have to be a pastor or leader. You don't have to know a lot of the Bible. And of course we want you to know the Bible. But you don't have to know a lot just to love somebody. You can just love them. You don't have to memorize the four spiritual laws or the Romans road. And somebody going, what is that? Don't worry about it. Just love people. That's what matters most. You only have to love them. That's what Jesus said. You love them without an agenda. You love them without ulterior motives. You love them without Bible thumping them. We don't love them to get a notch in our belt and say, well, I got another one for the, for the kingdom. Yeah! How you doing, buddy? You know, it, it's not about some ulterior motive. It's simply about loving people. You engage your neighbors. What a radical concept. Now, I will not ask you to raise your hands. I promise you I won't. But I wonder how many of you actually even know your neighbor's names or their kid's names or their dog's name. Do you even know the people around you? Jesus said, listen, i got to keep coming back to this because you're going to get mad at me if I don't. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And don't you dare ask the question, well, who's my neighbor? That guy next door. That gal down the street. That person in the cubicle across from you. That's your neighbor. You serve them however and whenever possible. You're intentional about looking for opportunities to serve. You invite them to a game night at your house or to barbecue or to a potluck. You know, you're wondering why I've got this on here. Some of you are excited because you're thinking we're having hot dogs after church. We're not. But it's just a, a visual. That we're used. Guys, you invite them to something as simple as a barbecue in your house. You have fun with them, watching a football game. Or if you get a bunch of chicks together, you're watching a romantic chick flicks, whatever. Or if you get guys together and you watch Star Wars, I don't care. You find some point of connection, you build a bridge, you build a bridge, you build a bridge, you'll love them. 
And this is not hard. The beauty in this is that it's not rocket science. It's not complicated. Now, having said that, it will cost you time, energy, and maybe some money. And I was thinking about this last night as I came down here and prayed and was driving home, and this is in my notes, I'm thinking, why, why is it that people don't know their neighbors? Why is it they don't reach out to their neighbors? Now, well, we're busy. This is extra, by the way. We're busy, the back guys in the back. It's not in the notes, don't worry about it. We're busy, we're, uh, it's messy. We don't like our neighbors. We live in small worlds. Uh, we've got all other stuff going on. We're consumed with everything else in our life. You know, I don't, a, a thousand reasons perhaps why we don't do it. But there's only one reason I can give you that we should, and Jesus said do it, love your neighbor. For most of our marriage, and I'm not saying this to brag, but to say we have been modeling this. We've been living this. Laura and I have been married over 40 years, and there's never, never been a neighborhood that we lived in, or an apartment building that we lived in where we didn't reach out and engage and get to know our neighbors and love them. We've consistently invited them into our home for meals. Consistently we've done. And you know, by the way, ladies, let me just say something, and my wife knows I love her, and this is not to throw her under the bus. She's not a great cook. She's an amazing baker. But if she was an amazing cook, I would be about 500 pounds because I love to eat. My wife is not, the reason I'm saying this is coming thinking, well, I can never invite someone to my house for a meal because I don't know, I, my specialty is corn dogs. So what? So what? You love people, you do what you can to love them and you relax in the process. You find ways to serve them, whether it's taking care of their cat while they're gone or pulling their garbage cans in while they're on vacation. They're, hey, we're taking off today, would you bring the cans in? Sure, would love to. Can I mow your lawn while you're gone? We find ways to serve one another. We bake them amazing cookies. My wife is an amazing baker. We make them cookies, and you take them to, to their, to their uh, house at Christmas. Just say, hey, we just love you. We just want to let you know we, we value you. You matter to us. And we do all of this. Listen, this is important. We do all of this without a religious agenda. We do it because it's what good and loving neighbors do. We do it because it's what Jesus said to do. And here's what I know, and I may get choked up over this, because I'm thinking about people. You'll find a situation suddenly where they're in a tragic, heartbreaking situation. And guess who they're going to reach out to? You. Because you've become a trusted friend. They deal with something going on in their marriage or with their kids. And they, and they need advice. And they're going to turn to you. Because you've earned the right to hear them. And they've, they've, they want to hear your advice. And sometimes, and again, there's no religious agenda in this, but sometimes when they are looking for a place to go, or Christmas Eve service or an Easter service, you're going to say, hey, you know, we've got this thing going on. You guys want to come? It'd be great. And because you've already built a bridge of relationship and because you're already a trusted friend, because you've already loved on them, they'll say, yeah, we'd love to go with you. We love them in Jesus' name. Here's the definition of neighboring group. A neighboring group, here it is. It's a time, place, and activity where neighbors relationally connect with neighbors and where we, the Christians, simply love them without any strings attached. Kind of a mouthful, but that's it in a nutshell. It's a time and place and activity where we, neighbors, relationally connect with neighbors and we simply love them without any strings attached. And again, why does this matter? Because Jesus commanded us to do it, and because it's an effective way to demonstrate the love of God to people. 
as we build authentic relationships with those around us. You know, for years, <clears throat> we have heavily promoted life groups here. For 12 plus years, we've promoted what we've called life groups, small groups of Christians, generally based on an affinity of some sort. Um, and you need to hear this. Listen carefully. We are not killing life groups. If you've got an existing life group, keep going. We're going to support you. We love you. We're excited about that. However, however, I am asking you, the current life groups and the current life group leaders, to expand their focus and to at least once a month, once a month, one out of four or five times in a month, once a month, invite your neighbors to join you for a game night or to watch football or for a barbecue or potluck. And listen carefully. This is important. And you don't do anything religious. Laura and I have been doing this in the neighborhood we live in Ponderosa. We've been doing this for years and years there. And some of the people, the Stensons, they, they're part of that group. We've been doing this for a long time. And, and it was awkward for some of the Christians at first when we'd invite people in our neighborhoods and, and we'd fix the meal and we'd just start eating. It's like you could tell, well, aren't we going to pray over the food? Nope. Nope. Yeah, is that really beer in the ice chest? Yep. <laughs> There's no religious agenda. We just are building relate once a month. I'm going to ask our current life group leaders and life groups to expand their heart and their impact in the community they live in. It's not a time to do a Bethmore DVD or Bible study that one time a month. It's not a time to sing a praise. It's just a time to build relationships. It's a time to practice the second greatest commandment. A time to love and build authentic relationships with those around us. Now some, and I've been anticipating some questions, well why, what am I going to do about, you know, my need for spiritual connection and growth in the body of Christ and, and where can I best experience a community of faith and if you're going to expand this to include people who don't know Jesus and, and you don't want us to pray that once a month, I just, it just seems wrong to me and you know, what about, what? Listen, listen carefully. Here's my answer to this. The best place for you to experience a community of faith is in your community. The best place for you to experience a community, a true community of faith is in your community. Now, I know that for some, it's like, uh, what do I get? is that true? Is that right? Well, some of the best, the people I know best in our church are the people who have been a part of our neighbor, neighboring group for, for years. I mentioned, you know, Andy and Kristen Stinson, Jim and Chris Bjorkman, the Cohens, John and Tiffany Byes. Those are people that I know their kids' names. I know, you know, them much better than I know a lot of you. We experience community in our community, a community of faith within our community. And here's the cool part about it, too. There are people that come to our neighboring group who don't go to East Point. And they're Christians. And like, is that okay? Yeah, it absolutely is. A community of faith is bigger than just East Point. Hello? The best place for you to experience a true community of faith is with your community, in your community, with the believers that are around you, and then you use those natural relationships that they have with their neighbors to invite them and to say, hey, we, let's, let's invite our neighbors to come and join us. And let's do this. Let's just love people in Jesus' name. Loving your neighbor is not optional for Christ followers, guys. It's not optional. One of the challenges we've had with life groups, and i got to keep moving, but one of the challenges we've had is that uh, finding leaders. People, I'm not a leader. I don't want to lead. I don't want well, the beauty of hosting, and that's a key word, hosting a neighborhood group, is that it can be done by anybody. Can you open your door? Can you open your home? Can you fire up a barbecue or organize a potluck? Well, what we do, we've got one this Tuesday night. 
We tell everybody, bring a main dish and a dish to share, boom, that's easy. Not a lot of planning. You know, put out some plates and, and some napkins and you're good to go. And I mentioned, by the way, it might cost you a little bit. You know, our carpets need cleaning more often. That's okay. We let the kids come and they go crazy. It's okay. We don't care because we want to build relationships. Can you be neighborly? Can you love people? This can be done by anyone. And here's what we're going to do for you. And I'll start to wrap this up. We want to help you. We're going to give you some very basic instructions. Very. This, the other thing is beauty in this neighboring group approach is that it doesn't take a 10-week training program to figure out how to do this. I mean, in one 30, 40-minute you know, time talking about it, working through some things, we can give you some basic instructions that will help you. Things that people like me and Matt King and James Gerber, we've learned this from doing this. And we're going to share with you. And there's a Q&A during the second service in two weeks on October 4th in the training center right next door. And I'd love to be so many people. We've got to move it to the uh, Acoustic Cafe. But the second service, October 4th, come. Just to check it out, ask your questions. If you want to start a neighboring group, if you want to host one, if you want to find out where they're at, go to our website. Here's a snapshot of our website. Just Sarah got this up just this last week. And if you want to find more about it, go click on the big neighboring group banner or the neighboring group tab on top, and you'll find out more about it there, where they're at right now. We've got three existing ones. I want 30 by the end of the year. That's our goal. You can fill out a communication card today. You can fill that out. Put your name, an email address, phone number on there, and say, you know, neighboring group, and Nate Reinhardt, who's leading the charge of this, Nate will get a hold of you and connect with you and say, well, you're interested in hosting or you want to join one, let me help coordinate this for you. On the wall, I may have noticed over here on the wall to my right, your left, uh, the cool frames and the maps there that are up. We're doing everything we can to give you a visual. Right now, there are three magnets on there, and, and to the center of that, you'll see these little card racks. Which, this is really complicated. Uh, that's where I live. It says number one. Find number one in the card rack, pull number one, and you'll find the information on how to get a hold of the person that's hosting the group. And again, we want to see you. So you look, you say, I'm in this neighborhood. By the way, let me just insert this. If you live in Otis Orchards, don't show up in my neighborhood group. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> what I want you to do is go to start or go to one that's in your neighborhood. Key phrase, your neighborhood. So we're going to do everything we can to facilitate this. If you're not ready to host a neighborhood group, you're thinking, uh, I live in a 300-square-foot, you know, apartment, and I don't think I can do that, or I have 35 cats, I don't think people want to come to my house. <laughs> if you're not ready to host a group, then find someone who is. Join someone else who's in that neighborhood that you live in and join them. If you want to do this informally for a while and kind of check it out and say, well, uh, let's start this and we'll invite our neighbors and see what happens. And by the way, there have been times we've invited our neighbors and one couple shows up. That's cool. Isn't, you know the win here? Guess what the win is? This is really, this is deep. Ready? Loving your neighbor. Or neighbors. It's just that simple. And so here's the deal, guys. We're going to help you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to continue to facilitate this. And we're going to figure out some things as we go. But my challenge to you today is quite simply this. I want you to have the heart of Jesus and obey your Lord who said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I want you to see that the why behind this is because it's powerful to just simply love people in his name. And so to seal this deal, to seal it in your hearts, I want to actually read this last verse out loud. Guys, put it up on the screen. I want you to read this out loud with me and read it like you believe it. Would you? Ready? Go. For the whole law comes down to this one instruction, love your neighbor as yourself. One last story, and I'm going to pray for you. 
There's a book called The Contagious Christian by Mark Middleberg, and it's a great book. I read it years ago. Pastor Joe Whitmer, my pastor and friend, our mother church, our founding church, uh, Life Center, he and I were talking a few weeks ago about this very issue. And what's cool for me, and I love this, guys, I just love the way God works. Guess what Life Center is starting to focus on? Neighboring groups. And he'd heard about that from somebody else about us doing this. And so he grabbed me and said, hey, let's have lunch. I want to hear what you guys are thinking, what you're doing. And, and Joe actually preached on this very similar message on this a couple of weeks ago at Life Center. And we had a great time talking about it. And he told me this story that's in this book, Contagious Christian. And, and it's, a, it's a story about Mark, the guy who wrote the book. And he had bought a couple of tickets and uh, invited some Christian friends to go with him to a concert. The story is the friends backed out at the last minute, couldn't go. Mark and his wife are driving into their driveway. Uh, they now have two extra tickets to this concert. He sees his neighbor, Scott, and his girlfriend walking down the street. And he pulls up and says, hey, Scott, how you doing? Yeah, good, Mark. Um, hey, we've got a couple extra tickets for you. Would you like to come to a concert with us tonight? And the guy goes, well, what kind of concert? Christian. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> And the guy goes, well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, maybe next time. That, thanks for inviting us, but no, we're not available that night. We can't go. And then the guy said, Scott's his name, said to Mark, he said, but you know what? Uh, sometime let's, let's barbecue together. And as Mark pulled into his driveway and the guy, Scott, and his girlfriend walked down the street, he thought, of course. What was I thinking? Barbecue first. Barbecue first. In other words, build authentic relationships first. Start there. Love people in his name. Bow heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, sometimes um, some of the simple things are the hardest for us to do. I don't know why that is, but I know it's true. Some of the simple things that you call us to that are not complicated, not hard to understand, they're not so deep theologically that we've got to have a some degree to understand it. It's just simple. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I know, Lord, that for many of us it's intimidating, it's challenging, we're afraid, we're busy, we don't want to add one more thing to our plate. It's like, it's be easier just to not go there. And yet, Lord, you put us, every one of us, in a school, at a place of work, in a neighborhood. You put us there. You put us there. And we may be, Jesus, we might be the only, the only Jesus some people will ever see. We might be the only one willing to just love them without strings attached. To love them unconditionally and to accept them and to embrace them and to reach out to some who are unlovely and unlovable or messed up by the world standards. Lord, I don't want to be the religious guy, the Pharisee, the, the priest who walks by and looks at the guy on the side of the road dying and says, ah, somebody else can take care of him. Somebody else can do that. I don't want to be that guy, Lord. And I don't want our church to be that church. I want us to be the people who get down in the dirt and we're willing to sacrifice time, energy, money, convenience, stupid things like TV. We're willing to to, to, to sacrifice those times for times where we can just love the people around us in your name. Burn that somehow, Holy Spirit, way beyond me, way beyond me. And my pathetic ability to communicate this, God, reach into our hearts today and burn it, burn it deep. 
And then show us, Lord, I pray that there'd be creative genius in the weeks and months ahead of ways I haven't even thought of that we can love those around us even better than we do. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. But a friend, a family member, somebody you love has encouraged you and maybe they've modeled for you what it looks like to walk in grace and forgiveness. And you know they're not perfect. But you think, wow, there's something that guy, that gal's got. And you're here today. And I talked about loving God with all your heart and loving people. And you think, is it really that simple? Is that what it means to be in relationship with God, to love Him? To be loved by Him, to love Him, and to love people? Yep. And it starts with a choice we make to say yes to God, to surrender, to embrace His gift. It's a gift of salvation, of His grace and His mercy. It's a gift. You are never going to be able to earn it. Stop trying. Just receive it. He loves you. Listen, He loves you. He loves you. And what He wants more than anything, in fact, He gave His life to make this possible. He wants you to know Him and to know that love. Embrace it. Embrace the gift. When you're ready, I'm going to pray this prayer. Just make this prayer yours. This will be your entryway. This is the door, the threshold you can walk through today into relationship with the Father. Make this prayer yours. Father, you love me. I get it. I don't understand why, but I get it. And today, I surrender my life, my past, my stupidity, my failures. I surrender my future and everything I've dreamed and hoped for. I surrender it all to you. I want to follow you. I want your life. I want your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And so I give you my life. Thanks for giving your life for me. And right here, right now, I say yes. 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 I will follow. The Bible says, Jesus said, that it comes down to this. If you believe in your heart, and if you love him, if you confess with your mouth that you believe in him and that you want his grace, then it's yours. And for many of you right now, you've just crossed that line of faith. It's the beginning. It's not the end of a journey. It's the beginning of a, a journey into eternity. But you've made that decision today. And I want to thank you for that. Lord, thank you for the hearts that have changed, that are in the process of changing right now because of their faith in you. And Lord, change all of us. Make us more like you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to finish with one last song. You know, sometimes I feel like um, some of you miss what God wants to do in this last few moments, five minutes. This isn't a throwaway time. This isn't a time to grab your purse and get ready. This isn't a time to start thinking about whatever. I really want to ask you to open your hearts right now and say, God, uh, during this last song, do a change in me. Do a work in me. Let him transform you as we worship, and I'll come back and wrap it up. We can do this. You can do it. Once a month or so, you gather with a few other Christians in your neighborhood that you have a natural connection with because you live in the same proximity. And then you invite your neighbors just to come and join you for a barbecue or potluck. We can do this. And here's my promise, because I believe this is the promise of, of God to us is that when we love him and we love others, something amazing happens, guys. Something unbelievably amazing happens. You know what happened in the first church?
They turn their world upside down or right side up. We have 80 plus thousand people in this valley and beyond who don't have any connection with a local church and many of them no connection with God, no meaningful, viable relationship with Him. We can turn lives upside down and it starts with this. We love Him and we love people. We love Him and we love people. Today, if you began your life as a Christ follower, I want to encourage you to tell somebody, come tell me or Matt or some of the prayer team. We want to walk with you in this journey. And by the doors, there's a packet, white envelopes, got a Bible, some tricky starting walk with Jesus. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up. Any prayer, prayer team would be down front. Communion's available on both sides of the room. And again, I encourage you guys, you know, don't walk out of here without dropping off. Yeah, I want to help in Adventure Land. And you can do that at the table in the lobby. Fill this out or just stop by there and fill it out. Here's my benediction. Here's my prayer. May you go this week. And may your eyes be open to see people that you've ignored or haven't seen in a long time. And may you reach out to them, build an authentic bridge of relationship that will change them and change you forever. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today. I love you.